So last week, we began our series in, in Ruth chapter 2, and in, Ruth, in the book of Ruth, and, and we were in chapter 1, actually, because 1 is before 2. We covered chapter 1, and we were exposed, if you remember right, we were exposed to a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering and loss. Both Ruth and especially her mother-in-law, Naomi, went through some, some hard times, some tragic Things They suffered greatly. For Naomi, it began with a famine in Judah, even before, even before they went into Moab. And then that led to this move to Moab. It led to the death of her husband. Led to her sons marrying two Moabite wives, Ruth and Orpah. And then the death of her sons. One blow, one tragedy after another came upon Naomi and, and Ruth as well. And this caused Naomi to conclude and In Ruth chapter 1, verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. And in verse 20, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In chapter 1, we find Naomi in this terrible state of, of hopelessness. She's convinced that God's against her. She sees no hope in her future. Remember, we talked about last week Naomi's theology, her view of God. How did she see God? And we we said it was half right. She knew there was a God. She she believed in God. She believed in the sovereignty of an almighty God, that God was in control, and therefore he was in control of her tragedy. But what she'd forgotten was that God, in in, in all the sufferings of his children, that he's working, that he's working for his glory, Amen. And for our good. And he's amazing. He can work those together. It's not one or the other. It's both all the time at the same time. His glory and the good of his children. That was the main lesson I hope we learned last week. That we would believe and trust and remember that God, even in our suffering, even in our pain, is working for his purposes. Working for his glory and for our good. And if we believe that, if we trust that, if we know that to be true, then we will not, as Naomi did, slip into hopeless despair. We would, as James encourages us, to count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds, trials and sufferings and tragedies. We could count it a joy if we understood that God was sovereign, God was all-powerful, and God was all-loving to His children. Yes, we can mourn. We should mourn in our pain and our loss. But we who follow Christ can't allow our mourning to turn into hopelessness. We can't be blinded to the fact that God is at work in our pain and our suffering. We can't miss the grace that He provides us in times of need. God provides grace. The title of this sermon, Grace in Times of Need. Well, just so we understand, we're always in times of need, and therefore we're always in need of God's grace. So yes, Naomi in chapter 1 had suffered tragic loss, but she'd also begun to experience God's grace. God lifts the famine that was in Judah, and He allows her to return home, and He gives her an amazingly devoted, amazingly devoted daughter-in-law to accompany her, accompany her. But as we saw last week, Naomi didn't see this. At the end of chapter 1, after she returns home, she says to the townspeople of Bethlehem, I went away full, 
and the Lord has brought me back empty. You can see that? The Lord has brought her back. She knows God is sovereign, but he's brought me back empty. She doesn't know that he's at work. Why call me Naomi, which means sweetness, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So at the end of chapter 1, we find faithful Ruth and hopeless Naomi. And they're settling into to Bethlehem. And what is so amazing about God's grace is that even though Naomi doesn't get it, she's given up on it, the Lord's hand is against me, God still continues to pour that grace on her. Have you found that to be true? Even when you don't even believe that God can do anything for you, He still pours His grace into your life. In chapter 2, the grace of God becomes so obvious that even Naomi will recognize it. We'll see that. So what about us? Do we recognize the grace of God in our lives? Do we truly understand what grace is and what it's not? One author put it this way. When a person works uh, an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's day's pay for his time, that's a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, this is an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that's a picture of God's unmerited favor. This is what we mean when we talk about grace, specifically the grace of God. Let me give this illustration. I I think it works. You can tell me if it doesn't later, not now. Christina's sister and I, not and I, and her husband invite Christina and I to dinner quite often. It's 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 a normal occurrence. Now, sometimes they admit they're inviting us to dinner, they're feeding us, because they have some kind of computer problem and they need me to fix it. So I have to earn my supper. But most of the time, most of the time, their invitation comes with no strings attached. We come, we eat, we chat, we leave, with, with no expectations. That's a very simple illustration of grace. Simply put, grace is getting something positive that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve. Now let's get into Ruth chapter 2 to see another picture of God's grace. Hopefully, as Dina read, that you, you were seeing it, but let's, let's talk about it. In verses 1 to 7, we're introduced, really, to God's main instrument of grace in this story. And it's a man named Boaz. Boaz was a, a God-centered man. In verse 1, we're told that Boaz is a, a relative of Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's deceased husband. Now, if you've read the whole book of Ruth, which I'm sure everyone has, right? Remember last week I said, read it once a week. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you or me. I think I read it. I didn't read chapter 4, so I'm embarrassed too. I read 3. But if you read the whole book, or if you were here last week, you'll know that Boaz and Ruth have a child. Spoiler alert, Boaz and Ruth are going to get married Boaz and Ruth have have a child, and his name is Obed, right? And Obed will have a child, and his name will be Jesse. And Jesse will be the father of David, the King David. 
So we know this genealogy that Ruth and and Boaz are going to produce going forward. But what about Boaz's genealogy going backwards? So here's a, a, a Bible trivia question. You ready? Raise your hand if you know. Who was Boaz's mother? Oh, we got Jill. We'll go with Jill because you got to read. So Jill? Rahab. You guys have heard of Rahab. Boaz's mother was a woman named Rahab. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, as part of the Jesus' genealogy, in this we read this. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. If you don't remember who Rahab was, Rahab was an innkeeper and a prostitute from the city of Jericho. She's the one who, by in in faith, took in those spies that Joshua had sent into Jericho to spy out the city. And she hid them from the Jerichoian, is that a good word? Jericho's authorities. And because of that, she and her family were saved when everyone in Jericho, everyone else in Jericho was destroyed. Remember the story, the round the walls, the trumpets blowing, the walls falling, going in and conquering the city. So Boaz certainly knew of God's grace given to those who turn to him, who trust in him. He'd certainly been told the story over and over of how his mother and her family were delivered from destruction. And, so, and, and just a side note, if we think about this for a second, both Rahab and Ruth should put to rest any notion we have that God cannot or will not use us because of our past lives our past lives of sin. Before trusting the Lord, Ruth was a Moabite pagan, for all we know. And Rahab was a Jerichoian pagan and prostitute. But God used both. He used them both and mentions them both, uh, except except for Mary, Jesus' mother, the only other two women listed in the genealogies of Jesus. He used them, these two Gentile women, in the, in the genealogies of our Savior. Now back to Boaz. As, we, as he enters the picture in chapter 2, Naomi's hopelessness suddenly has a little air of hope in it, right? Remember back in chapter 1, Naomi was trying to convince Ruth and Orpah, I'm really trying hard not to say Oprah, so I'll just say it, Ruth and Orpah, He's, she's really trying to convince them. You can't go with me. I'm going back home, and you can't go with me. She, she gave the impression, she tells them, that there's no hope for them. There's no one for them to marry. They're going to be widowless, wid- widows and, and childless for the rest of their lives if they go with her. There was no one to carry on the line of their husbands. In verse 11, she, she asks the, the clearly rhetorical question, Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? That's the only option she sees, that she becomes pregnant again and, and those sons grow up and Ruth and Orpah wait for the sons. So Naomi in her hopelessness had forgotten about Elimelech's other relatives. She'd forgotten about Boaz. But when he comes on the scene, he's like this ray of sunshine bursting and cutting through this hopeless gloom that's hanging over Naomi's head. And as the story unfolds, that ray of sunshine begins to grow bigger and bigger. And, and, and eventually we'll see just beams of, of grace-filled light in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. 
Verse 1 says that Boaz is a, a worthy man, or, or other translation, a man of wealth. By God's grace, he has the ability to take care of Naomi and Ruth. But even more important than that is, is what verse 4 implies. It implies that Boaz is a, is a man of God. Whether from his mother's experience or in other ways, he's, he's clearly learned the importance of trusting in the Lord. Notice how the author pauses just to tell us, just to give us a little insight into Boaz's daily life. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and, and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And, and they answered, The Lord bless you. This is our first of several clues in this story that Boaz was a man who saw the Lord as part of his entire life. Even the secular things, the quote-unquote secular things. The Lord was part of his farming business. The Lord was part of his relationship with his employees. John Piper says this, and talking about Boaz, if, if you want to know a man's relation to God, you need to find out how far God is saturated to the details of his everyday life. Is God someone who you go visit on Sunday mornings? Or is God ever present as you walk through your daily life? Is He part of your work? Is He part of your your conversations with your neighbors? It seems clear that as the story unfolds, we'll continue to see that Boaz was a man saturated by God. And therefore a man that God could is able to use for his purposes. We'll talk about that. That's what we want to be, though, isn't it? People who have the Lord as the center of our life, people who are ready, willing, and able to be used by God in any way he wants. So now that's the introduction to Boaz. There's more to come. But verse 1 through 7 also gives us some additional insight in Ruth. We were introduced to Ruth in chapter 1, but here in chapter 2, we see that Ruth is truly a woman of godly character. I imagine she had been developing this character as, as, as she became part of, of this family, uh, as she saw who their God was and began. I don't think it was a, last week, the key verse last week was when Ruth said, your God will be my God. I don't think that was a moment moment decision. I think it had been building in her life. Last week we saw Ruth's character revealed in her faithfulness to her mother-in-law. She was willing to give up her old life, to leave her home and go with Naomi. And the key to that, as we mentioned, is her willingness to forsake the gods of her people and to embrace the God of Israel. Your God will be my God. Now in chapter 2, more of Ruth's character is revealed. She's, she's, she's taken on the God of Israel. And, and what we see is, the first thing we see is that Ruth was a, a caring person. Naomi and Ruth have returned to Moab, probably returned from Moab to Jerusalem. Naomi's returned, Ruth's gone for the first time. And they probably have nothing except for the, the clothes on their backs. They're definitely in a time of need. And Ruth at that point, takes the initiative to care for her mother-in-law. Notice verse 2. Naomi doesn't command Ruth to get out and work. Ruth volunteers. She says, let me go, go to the field and glean along the ears of grain. Glean is, is, you know, just picking up, just gathering. Naomi must have made Ruth aware of the Mosaic Law. Now, the Mosaic Law included a provision for people who found themselves in time of great need. 
Leviticus 19, 9-10. It's other places, but this summarizes it. Uh, the law said to the Israelite farmer, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. For the poor, the Israelite poor, and for the sojourner, the one traveling, the foreigner through the land. Now when we think of the law, we oftentimes think of it, when we talk about it, we think of it as the opposite of grace. There's no law and then there's grace. But God's grace in time of need is built into His law. The law He gave Moses. So Ruth, this poor foreigner, seeking to care for her mother-in-law, would benefit from God's grace found in the law. And in so doing, she would be that person who would take initiative and care for her mother-in-law. So first, Ruth is a caring person. Second, Ruth was a humble person. In verse 7, the servants report back to Boaz how, how Ruth had approached them that morning. They say, she said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So the, the reapers go through and took most of the stuff, and she just wanted to follow behind and, and pick up what she could. And she doesn't demand a handout. She doesn't presume the right to glean. All she wants to do is gather up the leftovers after the reapers have done their work. And even though it's part of the Mosaic law, she still asks for permission. Ruth knows how to take initiative, but she's not pushy. She's not presumptuous. She's humble. Third, she's hardworking. Verse 7 continues. So, so she came. And she has continued, this is the, the reapers, I mean the, the workers speaking to Boaz about Ruth. So she came and she's continued from early morning into now, except for a short rest. Verse 17 goes on to say that she gleaned until evening. And then before she quit, she beat out what she had gleaned, measured it out and took it home. To na- she took away the, 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 the unneeded stuff and, and just took the stuff that could be made into bread into food, and took it home to Naomi. She cares for her needy mother-in-law. She's humble, doesn't put herself forward presumptuously, and she works hard, sun up to sundown. Faithfulness from last week, caring, humility, and hard work. This is the kind of person Ruth is. This is the kind of person God is making her. And these are worthy character qualities for us to emulate, aren't they? And as Ruth continues to exhibit godly character, it's clear that God is at work guiding and directing her life. Those go together. Notice verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She just happened to come. Those words are written from Ruth's perspective. From Ruth's perspective, she just happened to come. She didn't know that know of Boaz or God's plan for, for them, but God did. And in his providence, in his sovereignty, in his loving grace, Ruth just happened to come to Boaz's field. In our lives, from our perspective, sometimes things just happen to happen, right? But always remember, as as children of God, He's always working in and through our lives for His glory and for our good. From His perspective, things just don't happen. 
From my perspective, a little over a year ago, I, I just happened to be driving down Iowa. And I just happened to see a sign on the street that said, Church for Leeds. But from God's perspective, I believe He was working it and working His plan to bring us to this place. It, did, it just didn't happen. So Ruth, the woman of godly character, just happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, the God-centered man. And what follows is not only a, a love story between two people, but a picture of God's love and grace to all people. And that picture is first seen in, in our third point, Boaz, who is a conduit of God's grace, a conduit of... Boaz becomes this conduit, this, this pipeline, this, this means of achieving God's grace, of God achieving His grace in the life of Ruth and, and Ruth to Naomi. We saw that, I think, pictured this morning a little bit in, in the testimony of, uh, what's their names, Daniel and, and Bethany over there. Do you think Daniel and Bethany were used by God as a conduit of grace in this inner city neighborhood? In the life of, of Leo and others. God wants to use us as conduits of grace. And Boaz is going to be used. Boaz comes to Ruth and shows her kindness, even though she's a foreigner. He provides food by telling her to work in the field and stay close behind his maidens. He provides protection by telling the young men to not molest her. It's unfortunate he has to say that, but he does. And he provides for her thirst by telling her to drink from what the men have drawn. So Boaz's wealth and his godliness begin to be used for Ruth and and eventually Naomi's benefit. The hopelessness now has hope. That leads to what I think, I mean, I think last week the the key part of our, our chapter one was when Ruth said, your God will be my God. Now we come to what I believe is the key part of chapter 2. Ruth is overwhelmed by the grace she receives from Boaz. And in verse 10, she says this. Then she, she does this and says this. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth asks a, a really profound question. It's a question that maybe we need to ask God as his children. Why have we found favor in your eyes? Who am I? Hardly anything in our life is more important than understanding the answer to that question. Why have I found favor in your eyes that I should, you should take notice of me? Why bother with me since I'm a foreigner? Ruth knows that she's just some foreign lady from Moab. And as a non-Israelite, she doesn't expect any special treatment. So her response to Boaz's kindness is one of amazement. Why are you doing this for me? Ruth is very different from most people today, I think. We, we expect people to be kind to us, and we're astonished and even resentful if we don't get what we believe are our, our rights, what's due us. But Ruth was the opposite. Instead of expecting kindness, she was overwhelmed. She was humbled when she receives it. She falls on her face and bows to the ground. You know, proud people don't say thank you. Humble people become even more humble when they are given grace. So we've seen Ruth's right reaction to grace. She has the the right reaction. She's given grace and she's humbled even more by it. 
But we have an answer to question. The question of why Boaz is treated her so graciously. In verse 11 and beginning, in the beginning of verse 12, I think we find part of the answer. But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord. Notice when Naomi asks why she's being shown grace, Boaz doesn't answer, uh, just because. Just because. He doesn't say that grace has no conditions. He answers her question by saying, because you've loved Naomi so much that you were willing to leave your father and mother and serve her in a strange land. Now, does this mean Ruth's love for Naomi was some kind of work that earned Boaz's favor and the favor of God? Does this teach us that grace is something we earn? I don't think so. First of all, Boaz makes it clear that it's not him who's giving the grace, it's God. He says that God is is really the one who's rewarding Naomi for her commitment, I mean, Ruth for her commitment to Naomi. Boaz is simply the the conduit, the, the, the intermediary of this grace. The one God is using to give the grace. Now, the first part of verse 12 does sound, if you read it, like God is is paying or rewarding Ruth for service to Naomi. And in one sense, he is. She's being repaid or rewarded for her faithful commitment to her mother-in-law. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. The concept of receiving rewards for faithful service is found throughout Scripture. One example is when Jesus talks about his second coming. He says in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This is Jesus, second coming. This is all New Testament stuff. There are both earthly and heavenly rewards for the faithful service to the Lord. But those rewards, get this, this is important, but those rewards only come to those who first have put their trust in in God. The rewards are icing on the cake. That's what Boaz makes clear in verse 12. That's what we hopefully learned last week when, when Ruth makes her commitment to the Lord. Your God will be my God. And then Boaz recognizes that at the end of verse 12 says, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Highlight that in your Ruth chapter 2. I think that's the key phrase in the whole chapter. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth was not a woman who who had made a deal with God. She didn't say, okay, if I take care of Naomi, will you take care of me? Ruth was a woman who took refuge under the wings of the Lord. She committed her life not just to Naomi, but to the God of Naomi, the God of Israel, the true God. Your God will be my God. And because of that, she received God's love, God's protection, and God's grace. The end of verse 12 gives us this beautiful picture of God as as this winged bird. Some some commentaries say it's speaking of an eagle, of a great winged eagle. As a bird takes its young under its wings to protect them, God takes Ruth. 
God takes Ruth and he takes all who, who would be willing to take refuge under his protection. This, is, this isn't a picture of an outsider earning an award. This isn't an employer-employee relationship. This is a picture of a child coming under the protection and grace of their father. God will reward Ruth for her commitment to Naomi because she sought refuge under his wings. This is a common teaching in the Old Testament. Psalm 57.1 says, Be merciful to me, O God, Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Notice that word, for. Be merciful to me. Why? Because I've taken refuge in you. You're in charge of my protection. It's up to you, God, whether I live or die where I go. Why does God through through Boaz... Show mercy to Ruth because she's taken refuge under his wing. Ruth, in in her words and deeds, has said, I I believe the the God of Israel's protection, his wings, being part of his family, is better than all else. It's better than the gods of Moab. She's humbly admitted her need and sought to have her need fulfilled in the Lord. And once under his wings, once under his protection, she then becomes free. She's free to love. She's free to live. She's free to give to Naomi. She's not earned grace from Boaz or from God. She didn't make a deal. If I I do this, will you do this for me? They're not paying her wages for her work. On the contrary, she's honored God. She's honored Boaz by admitting her need for their work in her life. All she's done is simply take refuge in their generosity, in their grace. And I hope you see that this is the gospel. God will give grace to anyone, Jew or Gentile, man, woman, child, who humbles himself, like Ruth, and takes refuge under his wings. That's another picture of what we often call accepting Christ as your Savior, taking refuge under the wings of the Lord. Jesus, in one of his many confrontations with the Pharisees, said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to it. I mean, he's he's decrying Jerusalem. It's just a terrible place. How often, he says, I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. The picture, Jesus says, is if you'll come under into my wings, then you'll be saved. All the Pharisees had to do was to take refuge under the wings of Jesus. Stop justifying their actions. Stop relying on themselves. Stop glorifying themselves. But they wouldn't. Ruth is our model, not not the Pharisees. Ruth fell down before, uh, on her face before God. She bowed down. And she was astonished by the grace she was given. Don't be like the Pharisees who rejected the grace, who rejected the wings that wanted to enfold them, but be like Ruth. Run to the wings of God. God isn't your employer. God isn't some employer looking for employees who will sign up to work for me. He's an a bird, an eagle, looking for those who will take refuge under his wings. He's a father 
looking for children who will trust in him, who would say, adopt me into your family. He's looking for people who will give their lives to him. People who will leave father and mother and home or anything else that's holding them back from a life of love under the wings of Jesus. That's the the gospel pictured in the book of Ruth. That's the good news that Jesus Christ came to take us under his wings to forgive us of our sins and to give us a new life. And that would be a, a great place to end this message and probably... I forgot a watch, so I'll put on my glasses so I can see the clock. Yeah, we need to end, but we got one more thing to do really quickly because I think this is important. We need to go back to Naomi. I mean, Naomi was the focus of last week. We need to see where she's at here at the end of chapter 2. We need to see that God's grace brings change. That's the fourth point. Naomi, a changed heart. In verse 14, we read that Boaz gives Ruth all she can eat for lunch. Boaz is piling on the grace, grace upon grace. Ruth works till sundown. And in verse 17 through 19, we read that she returns to Naomi and gives her the leftovers from lunch and all the grain. Ruth tells Naomi what what happened with Boaz. And in verse 20, Naomi's theology, her understanding of God's sovereignty, serves her well. She gets it. May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. I mean, check this out. What a contrast to last week. Remember hopeless Naomi from chapter 1, the woman who testified, the Lord is against me, his hand is against me, and I don't see it lifting up ever. She's getting punched, one punch after another. Now she's talking about the kindness of the Lord. His kindness has not forsaken, like I thought it did, the living or the dead. She recognizes that through Boaz, I mean, she's projecting, she's looking into the future. Through Boaz, the Lord's kindness is coming to the living and the dead. Apparently, Naomi is is seeing this brighter future where Boaz will show kindness to her dead husband, Elimelech, and her dead son, Chilean, Ruth's husband, by taking Ruth to be his wife and preserving their name and their inheritance. Remember Ruth's words, oh, he's one of our redeemers. Talk more about that next week. And she also sees the Lord showing kindness to the living, specifically her and Ruth. She's recognizing the truth that even and especially in the midst of tragedy, God's hand of mercy and grace is upon her. The Lord who stopped the famine. It was the Lord who gave her Ruth. It was the Lord who brought Boaz into their lives. Naomi knew that Ruth didn't just happen to come to Boaz's God's love has finally broken through, bright enough for Naomi to see that the Lord is kind. He's good to all who take refuge under his wings. And that's true today, as true today as it was those 3,000 years ago. I hope, I think, our application today is clear. Again, we need to be like Ruth. We need to be in humility You know, that's a key character quality for those who would follow after Christ. Maybe the most important quality, humility. In humility, we need to fall on our faces, bow before the Lord, confess our unworthiness, and take refuge under his wings. Whatever other wings you're taking refuge, maybe your own wings, maybe the wings of something else, you need to run from that and take refuge under 
his wings. That's, that was Ruth's part, and that was our part. And when we do that, when we take refuge under his wings, when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, then we'll begin to see his love and his kindness and his mercy. Not that they weren't there before, but we'll begin to see them. And yes, we'll be like Ruth, astonished and amazed at his grace. I'm going to pray, and when I'm, I'm finished, Chad's going to lead us in, in two songs, two final songs this morning. First, an appropriately uh, uh, amazing grace. I think it's the version, amazing grace, my chains are gone. And as we sing, I would encourage you to, to keep your mind on that picture that Ruth chapter 2 provides for us. Picture yourself as this, as you are, as I am, helpless and hopeless, like that little bird. No protection from evil. No protection from this world, from the enemy. The pain and suffering of this world coming upon you. And then picture God as this great bird that lands and and opens its wings, willing to take you in. And all you have to do is go. Walk into His protection. Take refuge under His wings. As we sing... As we worship the one who bestows his grace and love and mercy and protection on all that take refuge in him. I would also, we want to do something a little different this morning. And, and, and I want it to be different this morning, but I want it to, to sort of continue on in this new place. During this time of worship, I just want you to feel free. If you have any, any needs, if you need someone to pray with, that you would feel free to, to get up, and we're, we're going to have some people at the, you know, we've, usually at the front, we, the front could be intimidating. We, we're going to have some people in the back of the church there. We have, we have space back there, and we have, if you want to sit down, we can even move into the foyer, and there are seats back there to sit on. And, and if you would like to be prayed for, to pray with someone, if you have physical needs, if you have emotional needs, if you have spiritual needs, maybe you'd like to, to in prayer, take refuge under the wings of the Lord, to trust in Him. Maybe you're in need, maybe there's a certain area in your life where you need the grace of God to be seen. You need to to be able to trust that His grace is coming through. That's the case. I I would just invite you as we're singing to to step out of your seat and move towards the back. There will be someone there to pray for you at the back of the church. So I'm going to pray and then the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing these songs. If you'd like to receive prayer, just, just uh, as, as we're singing, we'll be at the back. Father God, words uh, fail me uh, to thank you for your grace. What a great picture we've had today in the book of Ruth. People in need, people in need of physical, emotional, and spiritual things, and you're there to meet those needs with your grace, Father. And you want to do that in our lives. And I pray for myself, I pray for each person here that we would receive that from you. you. Lord, I pray for the first time or for the hundredth time that we would run to you, that we would take refuge in your wings as our great and marvelous Lord and Savior, Lord, and we would receive your love and your grace and your mercy. In Christ's name, amen.